If you've got a Bible this morning, I want you to open to Colossians chapter 4. And uh, you just got notes this morning. Uh, I didn't print a bulletin. There really wasn't uh, any announcements. Uh, and so I spared you the detail of having to find something to do with that bulletin. Are you guys like our, our home? When you get home from church, you have like a stack of bulletins that just kind of they just kind of stack up and you, you kind of wonder, uh, why, are, why are we hanging on to this? So anyways, uh, I'm helping you de-litter or declutter your home and you're welcome. All right. So you, you, you can be thankful uh, that you don't have a bulletin this morning. Colossians chapter four, we're actually starting a new mini series within the book of Colossians. And uh, every chapter that we've gone through, there's been some tremendous truths that we've learned. Colossians chapter three uh, was really a powerhouse chapter for us. Um, we learned so much in Colossians chapter 3. This morning, we're going we're gonna to kind of begin the final descent over the next several weeks in Colossians chapter 4 as we wind out this, this epistle. And, uh, and, and we're going to read this morning verses 2 to 6. And, and the message series is going to take us three weeks, and it's entitled, Pray, Go, Speak. Pray, Go, Speak. And if you say it really fast, it sounds like a fancy Italian dish. Pray, Go, Speak. But if you say it slow, it's actually three things that God wants us to do uh, as Christians in these last days. And I think this, this, this little series will help us really stay focused because, because things are crazy. The world's kind of crazy right now. We've got the COVID thing going on. We've got all the political mess going on. And we've just got general people being crazy going on. And so in order to kind of stay focused, God gives us some instruction to kind of make sure that we end... Uh, our time on this earth right. We want to end right. You know, even if we didn't start right, we want to end right. God, God really cares about how we end more than how we begin. And so in Colossians chapter four, verses two to six, let me read this little portion of scripture. The Bible says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And, and I just want to r- remind you that Paul is writing this epistle from prison. He's imprisoned in Rome. Uh, he's imprisoned for the gospel's sake. He's writing to this church at Colossae, these saints and faithful brethren. He hasn't been able to get there personally yet, historically. And so just imagine what the Spirit of God is motivating him to write are the most important things that a church could hear from, from an apostle that's in prison that can't get there in person. He's, he's just kind of encouraging them with the most important things. And it does say in verse 2 that he wants them to continue in prayer. We'll talk about that in length this morning. Verse 5 says this, Walk in wisdom toward them which are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer Every man. And then, and then from verse 7 all the way to the end of the chapter, you have a bunch of names that Paul rattles off in this epistle. And these are guys that were co-laborers with Paul. They were, they were partners with ministry. Uh, Tychicus and Onesimus were the two men that Paul gave this epistle to and, and sent them to Colossae to deliver it. And there's a bunch of other names that that were just co-laborers. Some of these guys are fellow prisoners with Paul in Rome for the gospel's sake. And and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks because there is some 
there's some rich, rich learning that we can apply to our lives about ministry relationships. So we'll get there in a couple of weeks. But this morning, we're going to start the first of three weeks in our Pray, Go, and Speak series. And this morning, we're going to deal with perpetual prayer. And, and I think it's interesting, as you look at verses 2 to 6, that there's a very specific order of things that Paul tells the Colossian believers to do. Continue in prayer, verse 2. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. And then verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Pray, go, speak. God wants you to do something, and the thing that God wants you to do is the same thing that he wants me to do and every Christian to do in these last days. It's to continue in prayer. We heard one of the greatest messages on prayer I've ever heard last Sunday in this church. Pastor Mark Trotter preached on the tabernacle and how the tabernacle and the entrance into that tabernacle and all the, all the pieces really picture for us a, a right prayer life. And if you missed last week, you need to get on the YouTube page and catch that message. Now, you won't see him for about half of the message because he was running from this side of the stage to this side of the stage. But if you just listen to the audio, you'll, you'll catch it. It was an amazing message on prayer Oh, coincidentally, God has us talking about prayer today, and so it's kind of neat how God puts those things together. God wants us to pray continually, and then once we pray continually, God wants us to go somewhere. We need to walk in wisdom toward them which are without. In other words, we need to walk toward the lost so that thirdly, we can speak the gospel to them. And I know that's old news, man, around this church, because we talk about the Great Commission all the time, but but. Remember, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and these are the most important things for this Colossian church to to be a part of in the last days. Colossians for us is really the church epistle that deals with last days Christianity. And so this morning, let's talk about prayer in a little more detail and uh, some practical things, and I am certainly not Pastor Mark Trotter, uh, but I think God has some things for us from his word. And so let me pray. We'll get into the text, and, and then we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you again for the morning. Uh, Lord, I do thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for every person that's watching the live stream. Thank you for our children's ministry going on right now. Uh, we just thank you that so many people serve, and, and every week it takes a team of people to, to, to make the live stream work and to serve our children and to serve in nursery. And God, we thank you for every one of them. And Lord, help us to grow today. Give us, give us something that we can ap- apply practically to our life so that we can be more like Christ and so that we can please you with our life. And, and so, Lord, give us the, 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 the things that we stand in need of to honor and glorify you. And we trust that you'll do that. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'll just be honest with you. I'll be very transparent. This, this issue of prayer last week and this week is an area where I'm constantly realizing the more I pray, the more I need to learn how to pray. Uh, so as your pastor, I'm just going to go on the, on the transparent side on the front end and say, you know what, I do pray. I feel like I have an okay prayer life, but it's never good enough. And I'm always trying to learn uh, how to develop this even more intimately and in detail. And I appreciate Pastor Mark last week saying our church will never become what we're called to become without a powerful prayer life. And, and so that means that we as individuals won't become the Christian God wants us to become without a powerful prayer life. It's that important uh, for us. And again, it's not a legalistic bondage type thing, but it's the access that we have to our Heavenly Father. It's a relationship we, ha- we have with Him. And so from this text this morning, the first point is this, a perpetual prayer 
is something that's commanded in Scripture. And I, and I use that word very carefully. I know that some people, when you hear that word, uh, you automatically think, well, that's legalistic. Well, well, God commands it because he knows the benefit of it in our heart and life. Paul writes to these Colossians and he says, continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving. And listen, if the admonition that Paul is giving these Christians is to continue in prayer, well, listen, it's possible to not continue in prayer. It's easy for a Christian to say, I did that once. I prayed when I got saved. I prayed to accept Christ. I prayed when I needed a job and God gave me that. I prayed when God, I prayed for a spouse and God gave me that. I prayed, I prayed a few times and God would have us learn this morning that prayer needs to be continual. Paul is in prison. Uh, you know, I hadn't spent a whole lot of time in prison. Okay. That's, I haven't spent any time in prison. I, I was just seeing if you're awake this morning. <laughs> I was just seeing if you're awake. I haven't spent any time in prison. Paul's in prison. And I, I don't know, but prison in the first century probably looks a little different than the 21st century. There's not, there's not you know, cable television and video games and things like that. And so I, I would imagine that Paul in prison probably had a lot of time to pray. He had a lot of time to pray. Actually, a lot of epistles were written from prison. And I think his walk with God deepened uh, in that circumstance. And so listen, Paul admonishes these Colossians to continue in prayer. I think that presumes that he, he believed they were already praying and that they needed to not stop praying. So Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, Jesus himself said, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Always to pray and not to faint. Psalm 55, verse 17, the psalmist said, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. And, and I think most of us, those are the times that we eat, right? We eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so we pray then, right? Evening, morning, and noon. But I think God is really interested more, more about the content of our prayer and our relationship with him than just thanking God for our food. Uh, it, is, it is something that needs to be observed continually in our life. And so let me give you a couple of keys about prayer. And then we'll move on to the next point. Number one, or the first point in your notes, look, continual prayer is prayer that never ceases. It's just prayer that never ceases. And it really is more of an attitude of prayer that, that lasts all day long. And, and listen, you know, there ought to be times where we mark off the calendar and, and say, you know, we're going to spend some time in prayer. We schedule important things in our life, right? We schedule doctor's appointments. We schedule our work schedule. We schedule date night. We schedule time with our kids, Time with our Heavenly Father is something important, but, but we don't just make it an appointment. It's something that we can enjoy continually that never ceases throughout the day. And so Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8 says this concerning prayer. Prayer is, is like and is odors or incense that comes before God. And Mark illustrated this a little bit for us last week. Revelation 5 and verse 8, when he taken the book... The four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. This is a scene in heaven. Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So when we spend time in prayer, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a well-pleasing odor. It's an incense offered to God, and it pleases Him. I mean, imagine this, this scene in Revelation 5 where the throne of God and the Lamb of God is sitting on the the throne, and you've got all these elders, and there's music, and all these different things, and then there's these golden vials full of odors. And we often 
use the word odor in a negative context. And God says, listen, there are some things that are sweet, savory smelling to God. The prayers of his saints, Revelation 5, uh, excuse me, 8 and verse 4 says, The smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the reason I'm making this point is that if you go back to the Old Testament in Exodus 30, and it's not on the screen, but when you go back and you study the, the Old Testament tabernacle, there was an incense that was supposed to be burned continually before the mercy seat. In Exodus 30, if you want to write the reference down, verses 1 to 8, if it's not in your notes, there, there was an altar to burn incense on. And every morning, man, that incense was to be, to be burned, and it was to be burned perpetually and continually on that altar in the tabernacle. And that pictures for us what our prayer life should look like. That, that it pleases God. God, God is, is pleased with that. It's a, it's a sweet-smelling, savory smell to Him. It, it, it is an offering to Him. And it ought to be something that's continual in our own life. And, and again, man, if anybody is the least to preach about prayer, man, it's this guy because I need all the help I can get. And so I'm not going to beat anybody up this morning about having a, a prayer life that needs to get better. I need a prayer life that needs to get better. And God, God's, God's working in my heart and life to teach me that continual prayer, it never ceases. It never ceases. You know, in Acts chapter 12, when Peter was in prison, the Bible says that prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Peter, for him. He was in prison, and these guys just kept praying for him. They just kept praying for Peter, man. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, pray without ceasing. And I think that's what continual prayer looks like. It's just prayer that never ends. You can pray right now while you're listening to this message. God, give me what I need in this message. God, there may be somebody in this room that needs to know Christ. I can pray for them during this message. Pray for your preacher while he's preaching. He needs it, man. Pray for him. Continual prayer is prayer that never ceases. And I think sometimes we just, again, minimize it to prayer time, maybe in Sunday school, or prayer time with our kids, or prayer time at dinner. And it, it's really something we could take advantage of 24-7. And actually, when we do, one, it pleases God. Two, it blesses us. We actually reap the benefit of continual prayer. Let me give you the next point. The second key is this. Look, continual prayer directs our decisions. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I need all the help I can get making decisions. Life is tough. Life is tough. And, you know, I served in a, I got saved when I was 21. I was in college and uh, I got connected with this college ministry in Decatur. And, and uh, those years of, from 20, you know, 18 to, to really 30 are like the most pivotal years for young adults, they make most of their decisions in 18 to, to 30, you know, who they're going to marry, if they're going to college, if they're having kids, if they're going to buy, if they're going to rent, uh, what kind of car they're going to have. All those decisions are kind of made in those few years. And, and man, listen, wouldn't you want God's help making those decisions? Prayer, continual prayer will lead us to make the right decisions. Even in ministry, we need to learn to pray about ministry decisions. We don't need to just make practical decisions. I think God gives us common sense, but, but prayer is the thing that will help direct our decisions. Jesus Christ 
before he chose his 12 apostles, spent all night long in prayer. Luke chapter 6, look at verses 12 to 13. The Bible says it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now, most of us would say the fastest way to get to sleep if we're not sleeping is to start praying. And and the devil will knock you out and let you go to sleep because he doesn't want you praying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, if you want to go to sleep, just start praying. And and before long, oh, it's morning. (laughs) Because the devil knows if you start praying, you're going to get a hold of God and God's going to move. And, And so the Lord prayed all night to God in prayer. The Bible says in verse 13, and when it was day... He called unto him his disciples, and of them, listen, he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. And I just want to remind you that, listen, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, before he selected the twelve men that he would train to carry on his ministry, he spent all night in prayer. Why? Because continual prayer helps direct our decisions. We get the heart of God when we spend time in prayer. Let me just say that he did not, and and, and I want to be careful here, but but the the text doesn't say that he stayed up all night and read his Bible. Now, now listen, this church is no stranger to biblical authority. We're no stranger to, to Psalm 37 and verse 23, that God orders the steps of a good man through his word. We're no stranger to those, those, those concepts, but many times I think we err on that side of our relationship with God, and we have to have the prayer side. Man, listen, listen, he spent all night in prayer, and I guarantee you Jesus knew what the Bible said, because he's the Word of God incarnate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yet he still spent all night in prayer before he selected his 12 apostles. And and what we can learn from that practically, listen, we, Christ prayed all night long. And and the Bible teaches us that spiritually we're in a season of night. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. As long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world. He was was crucified 2,000 years ago. He resurrected. In Acts chapter 1, he ascended to heaven. So he's no longer in the world bodily, presently, So we've entered into a spiritual night, and what we need is disciples of Christ that that will commit to continuing prayer during the night, so we can make the right ministry decisions for our church, for our discipleship relationships. Listen, just for for managing life, what house am I supposed to buy? What, what, What car am I supposed to buy? Listen, what job am I supposed to take? All of those things can be filtered through the Lord in prayer. Number three. The third key is this. Continual prayer is what enables us to wait on God's promises. Now, all the patient people in the room, raise your hand right now. All the patient people in the room. The rest of you with your hands down are my people. (laughs) No offense if you raised your hand. It just means you're really more godly than I am. I am about the most impatient person in the world. And those of you that know me well, no need for an amen right there. Man, I'm so impatient, and, and I've learned that you don't pray for patience uh, because God brings things into your life to develop it. I do know this, that, that, that when, when, we, when we wait on the Lord, when God's given us promises that haven't come to fruition yet, we can get really discouraged. 
We know what, the God, what God's promised us. We know what the Word of God says, but maybe it hasn't worked out exactly like the way He said in our life just yet. And we get impatient. In Acts chapter 1, I, I want to remind you that the disciples were waiting for some promises from, from the Lord, one of which was the, the promise of the Holy Spirit of God that was going to indwell them, that was going to, to seal them eternally. That hadn't been given yet. That came on the day of Pentecost. That came in Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says in verses 13 and 14, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Why were they assembled and why were they praying? They were waiting for the the promise of the Holy Spirit of God. They were waiting for the day of of Pentecost. That didn't happen until chapter 2. So what do you do when God's given you promises that haven't come to fruition yet? Did God lie? Of course not. Sometimes, sometimes we have to wait. And for those of you that didn't raise your hand, like me, that waiting game is tough. That waiting game is hard in our walk with God. One of the things that allows us and, and keeps our mind right in our relationship with God is prayer. God, I know what you said. I believe what you said is true. It hadn't worked out exactly yet in my life, but guess what? I trust you. And until it happens, I'm going to wait on you. And, and one of the ways that we wait is we spend time in continual prayer and supplication. And and listen, their prayer was answered in the very next chapter. And and their lives were radically changed for the gospel's sake. Prayer will help us wait on the promises of God. So maybe you have some things in your own life where God's revealed some things to you. Maybe God's called you to certain things and and that hasn't fleshed out exactly yet in, in, in God's timing for your life. You know what you can do in the meantime? You can pray. And you can remind yourself and settle your heart that God's in control. Listen, waiting on the Lord is not an inactive or passive activity. People people say, well, I'm waiting on the Lord. Well, if you're really waiting on the Lord, you probably have a pretty amazing prayer life, or you should. Does that make sense? Because waiting on the Lord is not passive and it's not inactive. People say that all the time. I'm waiting on the Lord. Well, if you're really waiting on the Lord, you should be continually in prayer over the promises that God's given you. All right, is this helpful? If it ain't helping you, it's helping me, so I'll, I'll take it for myself. All right, number, number four is this. Look, continual prayer creates unity in the church. Continual prayer creates unity in the church, uh, and we need it. Every church needs it, right? Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It's on the screen. Look what it says. It says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine... And we're all about doctrine at this church, man. We want to teach you what the Bible says. And we would say amen to discipleship, amen to MTT, amen to LFBI, and all the other acronyms that we use that nobody understands. <laughs> you would think we'd make it simple, right? Amen to doctrine and fellowship. Amen to fellowship. Because that does create unity, breaking of bread, oh, and in, in prayers. Prayers will unify the church more than anything else. I really believe that. A a church that prays together, 
that prays individually and prays corporately will be a unified church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Man, when you have a unified church, you have a unified ministry and God does amazing things. But, but we have to be together as a church family in our prayers. We, we need to be praying. It's not that we don't pray individual based prayers. God, we need you to show up in my life personally. Listen, that's all true. But there are some things, and we'll get to it in the second part of the message, that we need to corporately agree on in prayer. This is, this is what we want to see God do through our church. There are certain things that we should be praying for. We'll get to that in a second. And then number next is this. Look, continual prayer reveals who you really trust. Continual prayer really helps you define who you really trust in life. And, and we get this out of 1 Timothy chapter 5. And in 1 Timothy 5, Paul's writing to Timothy, young pastor, and he's kind of just given some instruction on how to deal with different people in the church. He's talking about widows, women that have lost their husband and that have no family, and how the church is supposed to help and support this, this, this faithful uh, sister in the Lord. Verse 5 says this, Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers, listen, night and day. And what Paul is talking about is, is a saved woman that's a part of the body of Christ who has no husband to take care of her and no children that can take care of her. She is a widow indeed. She got no help. She can't trust in anybody to help her. Who does she trust in? She trusts in God. How do you know she trusts in God? Because she continues in supplications and prayers day and night. You see, this woman understands she is literally dependent on God for her provision, for her safety, for her comfort, for her health, for her strength. If God doesn't come through, I got no help and no hope. Well, God wants us to have that kind of prayer life. God wants us to have a prayer life where we truly are truly dependent on God Almighty for all of those things and more. And listen, sometimes that's why we have difficult circumstances that come into our life. Now, we, we, we know from the Bible that as, uh, as Christians, we're going to suffer in this world. We understand that. But do you realize that suffering always draws us back to the one we can trust? It always draws us back to the one we can trust. When we experience difficulty, uncertainty, tragedy, this woman has experienced tremendous pain in her life. But there's one that she trusts in. She trusts in God. And you know that because she prays continually to God Almighty. That's the kind of prayer life God wants us to have. And, and that's what's available to us. So it goes on and it talks about praying. And, and, and it says back in, in verse 2 that, that we're to pray continually and we're to watch in the same with thanksgiving. So we need to have continual prayer, but we also need to watch. Now watch in the Bible means to be, it doesn't mean like, like you right now looking at your clock saying, what time is lunch? Okay, that's not what it's, what it's talking about. What it's talking about is setting up a watch. In other words, being sober-minded, being alert. Nehemiah chapter 4, let me just give you a reference here. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, the Jews are rebuilding the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And they had some enemies 
that didn't want to see that accomplished. One of those guys' name was, was Sanballat. Another guy's name was Tobiah. These were the enemies of God, the enemies of the Jews. When these guys were working and rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gates, these enemies mocked them. They even threatened them. Hey, we're going to kill you. <laughs> oh, and what you're doing, listen, we'll just knock that down. It's, it's a joke, what you're, what you're trying to do. Your God's not going to be able to deliver you. And so they had these enemies that were threatening them and trying to hinder them. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 4 verse 8 that they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. And we set a watch against them. Day and night because of them. Do you see the connection? Hey, we're, we're praying and trusting that God is going to take care of us, but we also got our eyes open. We're, we're watching. We're watching to see if they're going to attack, when they're going to attack, and from which direction they're going to attack. So prayer without watching, listen, it's just faithless ramblings. You, you want to develop a prayer life with your eyes open in the sense that you're watching spiritually for the enemy that might come against you. Even Jesus Christ instructed his disciples to watch and to pray. Matthew 26 and verse 41 says this, Watch and pray that ye enter not into what? Temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? And again, listen, isn't it interesting when you start praying, man, your flesh is so weak, it doesn't want you praying. I mean, have you ever, you ever felt that, experienced that? You start praying, and it's like, Father, I'm so thankful for this day. And then you're out. <laughs> I mean, you're just out. My kids, I love, I love my children. And every night we, we, we pray with our kids at bedtime. Mom or dad prays with them. And uh, it's just interesting. Man, they are like wired all day long. I know your kids aren't like that, but our kids are like, you know, level 10 all day long. And then it's bedtime and specifically it's time to pray. Okay, let's pray. Oh, <sighs> You know, it's like there's no energy left to pray. Now, if I said, let's get up and play Xbox, they would be like on their feet. You know, let's have a dance party. You know, they would be on their feet. But when it's time to pray, oh, you know, why? Because the flesh is weak. <laughs> the flesh is weak. And so God instructs us, we need to watch and pray. We need to watch and pray. We need to be mindful. Our flesh is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. This world system is our enemy. And we need to watch and pray. We need to be mindful of what's going on. And, and there's, a, there's a ton of verses. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Listen, prayer and watching go hand in hand. It's having spiritual awareness of what's happening in your surroundings. You want to watch because you want to see if God answers your prayer. You also want to watch to make sure you're not going to get attacked by the enemy. And sometimes the enemy is the enemy in a me. It's your flesh. And sometimes it's the devil and sometimes it's the world. And you need to be watchful. You need to pray and watch. Okay. And then he says, thirdly, that we're called to pray with thanksgiving. And we learned last week that any time that we pray, we need to start our prayer with thanksgiving. Psalm 100 and verse 4 says this, enter into his gates with thanksgiving 
and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And again, listen, I can't re-preach what Mark preached last week. It was amazing. God just wants to remind us that when we pray, we always start with thanksgiving. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for such an awesome pastor that I have. Okay, that was a joke. (laughs) Thank you for putting food on my table today. Thank you for giving me a job. You you know what's interesting? When I I study this thing of Thanksgiving out, and and I'm guilty of this, I, I, I always thank God for the things And I'm thankful for the things because God provides all the things. He provides the health and the food and the the car and the the house. But God also puts people in our life. And and what's interesting is when you study Paul's prayer life through the epistles, Paul was always thankful for people. He was thankful for people. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Romans chapter 1. He's writing this epistle to the, the, the believers at Rome. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. He's, he's, he's thankful for them. He's thankful for the people. Look at Ephesians 1 and verse 16. Cease not to give, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He's talking to the Ephesian believers. Second Timothy chapter one and verse three, I thank God who I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee, Timothy, in my prayers night and day. Philemon verse four, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. I think, I think sometimes when we pray, we, we, we need to thank God, obviously, for what we are thankful for. But we need to spend time and, and really thank God for who we are thankful for. Who? who? Who is it that shared the gospel with me? I'm thankful for that guy. No offense, I pray for that guy a lot. Who's the guy that discipled me? Well, I pray for that guy a lot. Trust me. I'm thankful for him. You know, I'm thankful for my pastor that I had for, for 14 years. I'm thankful for my student pastor. I'm thankful for other ministry relationships. I'm thankful for people that invested the word of God in me. I'm thankful for guys that I got to disciple because somehow they made it and they had the worst discipler ever. <laughs> and somehow they still, God's using them and that's a miracle. And I thank God for them. Does that make sense? It's all about, it, it's about who God's put in our life. And, and I think that's an important thing, man. Don't, don't, Certainly don't hesitate to thank God for the what, but make sure you thank God for the who. Thank God for the who in your life. Okay, and let's, let's kind of try to, to get toward the transition here. The second point, number one, we, we learned that per, perpetual prayer is commanded. Number two, we learned that perpetual prayer, continual prayer, that's the thing that calls God into action. That's the thing that calls God into action. And I want you to go back to verse 3, Colossians 4 and verse 3. So Paul writes and he says, all right, all right, Colossians, listen, continue in prayer with all praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Here is the thing that as a church we have to agree upon in prayer. We need to ask God specifically to move into action 
so that he will open a door of utterance so that we can speak the mystery of Christ. In other words, God give us opportunity to speak the gospel. That's, what he, that's really what he's asking for. He's in prison. Now listen, everybody in this room knows that if that was you, the prayer request you're sending out to the saints is, can you pray I get out of here? Right? Can you pray for deliverance? And that's not necessarily specifically what he prayed for. Now you could argue, well, he prayed for a door of utterance. That means he had to get out of there to preach the gospel. Not necessarily. As a matter of fact, he won some of those people in prison to Christ and discipled them. So he's not asking for deliverance. What he's asking is the opportunity to preach the gospel. He's not asking for health and wealth and prosperity. He's not asking for the what of life. He's asking for the opportunity to preach the gospel. Man, where, where are those type of prayers in the 21st century amongst us? And we pray for a lot of things, and, I, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for those things. But there's one thing that we have to agree on to pray for, church. It's the opportunity to preach Christ. And so here's the key in your notes. Look, God opens and shuts doors. Only God can do that. And when we continually pray, we are calling God into action. Not that we force him to do something. God wants people saved. Do you realize that? When you pray for people to to hear the gospel, you're just praying God's will. And he answers that kind of prayer. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 8 says this, to the angel of the church in in Philadelphia, write these things, Uh, These things saith he that's holy, he that's true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee, what kind of door? An open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And, And without taking the time to establish it. Look, there are seven churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. This sixth church is the church of Philadelphia. It's the church of brotherly love. It is the church mentioned before the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. And each of those seven churches were real historical churches in Asia Minor. But each of those churches also represent a period in church history for the last 2,000 years. And specifically, that church of Philadelphia represents the, year, the, the church period from 1600 to 1900. And if you study church history and you look at what the gospel did around the world from 1600 to 1900, it was the greatest move of God, the greatest move of the gospel, the greatest move of church planning. It was the Philadelphian church age because they got a hold of God. They got a hold of God, they got a hold of his word, and God unlocked a door and said, you know what, you're not even strong enough to open this door, but I am. And you're not even strong enough to really walk through this door, but I am, and I'm going to guide you through this, and the world is going to receive the gospel. And it did. And it did. It went all over the world. The gospel went all over the world. Churches were planted all over the world. Why? Because God opens doors no man can shut, and God shuts doors no man can open. 
And the way he does that is through a church and through people that ask him for it. I've heard it said, I've heard it said, I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Pastor Mark, maybe it was somebody else. But I've heard it said uh, you, concerning evangelism and sh- concerning discipleship and concerning people receiving the gospel and becoming disciples of Christ, you get every disciple you pray for. In other words, if you got them as a disciple, if you got them as a, as a convert, if you won them to Christ, you get what you pray for. And, and you probably don't get what you don't pray for. If we're going to become the church that God wants us to be, we have to trust that God himself opens the door of utterance for us. God does open prison doors. We see that in Acts chapter 5. Those early disciples, Peter and John, they, they go out preaching. Some people got upset with that. They, they were imprisoned. Acts chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. Listen, he did open the prison doors, but look what it says. He brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. In other words, go preach the gospel. God opens doors so that we can preach the gospel. Whatever door you're asking God to open in your life, maybe it's a career change, relationship change, maybe you're in imprisoned with something in your life and you're asking God for deliverance. Can I just tell you, when he opens the door, it's for the sole purpose to preach the gospel. That's the purpose that God is going to open the door. We see it all the way through Acts. Acts chapter 14, verse 27 He's rehearsing what God had done in verse 27, how God had opened the doors of faith unto the Gentiles. The Jews rejected the gospel. Paul went to the Gentiles. They received it, and God just opened that door. You see it in Acts chapter 16. You see it in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9. Paul says, a great door and effectual is opened unto me. Who opened that door? God opened it. You know why God opened it? Because people prayed for it. Paul's asking for prayer. Pray that God would open the door for the gospel. And again, church, we have to agree on that as a church. We have to be in, in unity that we are all individually and corporately asking God to open the door to the gospel. If we don't pray that, I don't think God's going to open the door. If we don't set our heart to the heart of God, God's not going to open the door. Only God can open that door. Only God can open that door on your job, in your relationships, with your family, in the community. Only God can open that door. And so we need to trust him for it. And then last, or or, or secondly, look, God opens doors. And when God opens doors, there, there are always opportunities to speak. There are always opportunities to speak. The gospel, we learned in MTT on Wednesday night, the gospel is a verbal exercise. It's a verbal exercise. And you say, well, I'm just going to live like a Christian. You should live like a Christian. (laughs) That means that when you open your mouth and speak the gospel, it actually matches the way you're living. But even if you don't live it, you still need to preach it. You You need to utter the gospel. And we see that all the way through the book of Acts. We see it in 1 Corinthians. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when those guys were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake in tongues. We don't believe in speaking in tongues per se, but I do want you to understand that when the Spirit of God gets control of you, something should come out of your mouth. 
The first thing that God gets a hold of when the Spirit fills you is your mouth. That's a good spot for an amen. Which means, <laughs> if your mouth is not proclaiming Christ, that mean that you're not saved, but it, but it might mean you're not Spirit-filled. It might mean you're not Spirit-filled. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 5, he says, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance. When you utter something, it comes out of your mouth. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, Therefore as ye abound in everything, faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. The gospel is not a lifestyle. The gospel is a verbal communication. It's something to be spoke. It's something to be spoke. And that's what Paul was praying. God, give me opportunity. Give me the open door so that I can speak the mystery of Christ. You find that mystery of Christ in Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 6. He says in verse 4, Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs of the same body, that we're all one in Christ as a church. You know, we get what we pray for. We also don't get what we don't pray for. If we want to see souls saved, we have to pray for them. I did that once. We have to pray continually for them. Uh, you know, I don't know how long the people that knew me prayed for me to get saved. I don't know how long they prayed. But if they knew me, <laughs> they probably prayed for me. <laughs> you know, God either save this guy or kill this guy because he's, he's pretty rough. <laughs> Thank God they prayed to, to, to save me. And I, I know the guy that led me to Christ prayed for me a long time before I received Christ. I know he did. Because he got his heart right with, with Christ. He started walking in obedience to Christ. He rededicated his life. And then he, he got really concerned about me. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful he did. So look, the point is, when God opens a door, we need to be ready to speak the gospel. For some of us, that means that we need to get discipled so that we can communicate that. We can understand that. We need to get trained so that we're comfortable sharing. But listen, if you're saved, you know what the gospel is. You don't have to go through D1 to, to share the gospel. You, you know what happened to you. You were a sinner, separated from God. Christ died for your sin and was willing to forgive you if you would receive him. I mean, it's as simple as that. Let me give you the last point we're done. Look, I, I want to just give you the bad news last it's the warning that you need to be watchful for. When God moves, and He will when you pray continually, please understand that when you pray, God's going to move because God loves you, and, God, and God's going to move mightily on your behalf. But when you, when you believe and trust that God moves, you need to also understand that the enemy is going to counter. The enemy is going to counter. Paul goes on in that passage, and he says, look, I want to speak the gospel, but listen, it's it's the same reason I'm, I'm, I'm speaking the gospel, and because of the gospel, I'm in bonds. I'm in this place. I'm in jail. I'm in prison because of the gospel. And I know, I know you got all your blanks filled in, but can I ask you a question? If you knew that preaching the gospel would land you in jail, would you really pray for it? Would you really pray for it? 
Would you really pray for opportunities knowing that persecution will come? And can I just tell you, look, today you can go preach the gospel freely. Nobody will throw you in jail. They might get mad at you and not receive it. But listen, nobody's going to persecute you. You're not going to be spending time in prison today for preaching the gospel. But that day is probably coming soon. That day is coming soon. And for some of us, we need to get a, 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 a soberness about us to realize that that to pray what God wants us to pray and to do what God wants us to do, it may mean persecution. It may mean suffering. It may mean imprisonment. Some of us have seen it firsthand. Some of you have been to countries, and I've been to countries, listen, where it's completely illegal to be a Christian. You can't have meetings like this corporately. You meet in apartments with a mattress against the door with very low voices so that people don't call the police on you because they can hear you sing or they can hear you quoting scripture. But in this country, we have no clue about that. We have no clue about that. You know, our suffering is the live stream goes down. We don't have coffee and donuts on Sunday morning. I went through Dunkin' Donuts this morning. They had a water leak at Dunkin' Donuts. I got the donuts. I didn't get the coffee. I felt like I was suffering. So I drove here and Cody made coffee and all of a sudden I feel good again. You know, so man, listen, we don't suffer in this country as Christians. We don't suffer. And, and to think that we do, quite honestly, is an offense to our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. It's an offense. So what that means is we need to take advantage of the, the opportunities we have. The, 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 the door may be closing, church, on what we can do freely in this country. It doesn't mean the door is going to be closed on the gospel because God is the one that unlocks that door. But the door may be closing on what we can do, quote-unquote, without persecution, without suffering, without retribution. And yet we need to have the mind that Paul had. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll close with this. Look at verse 19. He's just begging God, give me opportunity. Look at verse 19. As for me, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Even in prison, the mission didn't stop. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Church, let's, let's agree together, one, that, that we have a great privilege to pray. We, we, we learned that last week. But continual prayer is really what unlocks all the things that God promises. And then secondly, let's agree to pray that, that we're going to trust God to open doors to preach the gospel in our community, on our job, in our family. Listen, do you know somebody that needs the gospel? Let's pray. We need to pray that God opens the door, and then you need to be ready to speak it. You need to be ready to speak it. All right, let's pray, and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you again for the morning, God. I thank you for this church. I, I love them, and I'm just so excited to be here. And, 